the wow. I thought if I can get every kid in America to say that, I can change the world. Welcome to another edition of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports, media, technology, innovation, disruption, all different kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito, back again with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back. Joseph, what's going on? We've got, um, we've got the midwinter blues, some of us. So we got to make sure the show is upbeat, energetic, fun. Got to make sure we get out of our funk because we've had crappy weather in almost the entire country. Uh, another five or six inches yesterday in the Northeast. Yep. I think we're all ready for a change. And, and unfortunately, one of the changes that will not be happening, which we don't want to go into too much, is the frankly disappointing decision of the Ivy League not to play spring sports. I think yeah, it's I a, a tremendous disservice to the athletes and the staffs. Um, and in a time when people are thinking about innovation and leaning forward, and even the Ivy League took a lot of positive first mover steps not to play last year, but to not find a way to bring student athletes back uh, was certainly disappointing and a blow to a lot of people. Uh, and, and especially ones who, you know, were juniors going into senior years who didn't have any semblance of, of a year this year, that's really disappointing. So, you know, hopefully better days are ahead. Okay. But as I said, we got to be, be more positive here. So, so now we're going to go on to on positive. a, on a positive. Let me mention one thing that really struck me just today, because I finally focused on the fact that this weekend, although everybody will be listening to this after it happens, but the NHL Winter Classic yes. is this weekend in Lake Tahoe. And I'm sure by now, Joe, you've seen some of the imagery that's been yes. shared. Yeah. Kind of breathtaking what, what they're pulling off. Some of the photography, I just tweeted this out, is just really spectacular. And I know, I, I'm actually quite anxious to watch that game. I think, is it, do you know if it's on Sunday, Sunday. or Saturday? There are, several, Sunday. there are okay. several games. It's not just one. Okay. But anyway, um, it's a spectacular setting. And it was kind of a reminder that even in the midst of a, a tough time, uh, you can do really good creative things in the business. So kudos to the NHL for pulling that off. They, it looks like it's, it's staged you know, beautifully and it should be a great weekend of hockey. So ironically, one of the things when I saw some of those pictures for those who are sports movie buffs, there was a film called Mystery Alaska. I remember that. New York Rangers played a game in Alaska. And that was kind of what I thought of when I saw that, because literally, if you don't have to worry about a stadium, you could put a rink anywhere. So if you want to take a rink and put it in the Arctic Circle, you know, and spend the money to do those things, you can do that because the biggest cost center is the stadium, which you have to go to. And, and this year for the Winter Classic, that's not an issue. So Yeah, you got to hand it to the league. They, were, you know, they, they started this, what, over 10 years ago, I believe, maybe yeah. 12 or something. 12. And um it's really one of the most interesting executions of live of live sports in the entire business, I would say. And this, uh, they're really going to town this year with a setting that that is probably the most spectacular you can even imagine for something like this. So I hope it translates into interest and viewership. Yeah. We'll see. So we'll cool. address that in the future. What are we well, talking about today, Spectacular Joe? and innovative. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about spectacular and innovative. So. Um, Quick, uh, 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 quick kind of how we got to this point. Uh, when I worked at the Knicks, 
Uh, we had a player named Kurt Thomas, who was actually a great trivia question because Kurt is the last player to lead the NCAA in both rebounding and scoring in the same year when he played at TCU. Uh, Kurt, uh, when he came out of school and was drafted, basically got screwed by an agent and lost a lot of his money because he didn't understand finance. And we worked with Kurt to, and then eventually with a partner, Merrill Lynch, to create and put Kurt into a st the stock market game where he mentored hundreds of New York City, inner city high school kids on how basically to learn about financial literacy. It grew to the point where there are still several NBA teams that still do the program. The kids got internships at Merrill Lynch. It was a tremendous success by listening to a player and trying to deal with the issue of financial literacy. We fast forward to today where financial literacy, especially for young people of color, is still an issue. And our guest today is helping young people, athletes and brands and people in the, in the, the finance space tackle that. And she came to it kind of a circuitous in entrepreneurial way from other places that we have been associated with like Nickelodeon and ESPN. Um, so Tanya Van Court is the founder and CEO of Goal Setter, uh, which is a company that basically has helped using gamification to help young people understand the finance world. Correct, Tanya? That's exactly right, Joe. Can I hire you as a pitch guy for Goal Setter? That was easy. So <laughs> as I a matter of fact, Joe might be available to do yeah. such a service. But anyway, <laughs> so Tanya... Before we talk about goal setter, give us the two minute, because it's a really interesting path on how you got here to this point, you know, starting obviously as an undergraduate at Stanford and then coming through some really interesting stops in, in the media and the entertainment business and, and how you ended up at goal setter. I will, but I'm going to start a little bit before Stanford. Um, I'm going to start when I was born, Joe. Um, I was born in Oakland, <laughs> California, <laughs> proud uh, East Oaklandite. Uh, my mom was an elementary school teacher in the East Oakland Public Schools. She was a single mom of six kids, and she used to bring home more kids on the weekends. And that really is why I started this company, because what my mom taught me is the love of community, bridging gaps, helping people with whatever you have, big, small, a little, or a lot. Um, fast forward in my own life, I went to Stanford, got a couple degrees in engineering, and then, as you indicated, landed at wonderful, amazing places like ESPN, where my team and I launched ESPN3, the first digital video streaming player in the cable industry. Then I moved to Nickelodeon. I ran digital products at Nickelodeon, including nickjr.com and noggin.com, and cut my teeth there on how do you create content that's engaging and exciting for kids, and at the same time, educational and took that knowledge and moved to Discovery Education where we launched digital textbooks across the country and the classrooms across America to help kids with multimodal learning. And then one day my own daughter who was eight about to turn nine said, mommy for my ninth birthday, I really only want two things. And I said, what's that? And she said, enough money to save for an investment account and a bike. And I thought wow. if I can get, that's what I thought, wow. <laughs> um, but I thought um, after the wow, I thought if I can get every kid in America to say that, I can change the world. And that was it. Oh my God. Can we go back to, to a, a quick question? Your, your resume is so fascinating to me, but you, you studied industrial engineering. I did. Can, can, you, can you explain that? We hear that term a lot. I have a vague idea of what that's about. Could, could you summarize that quickly? Because it feels like the way the world has evolved since you were in college a while back, like that's actually a, probably a really great degree to have right now. 
It, it, it's so funny because industrial engineering is literally all about how do you make things more efficient, mm-hmm. um, period. And as I got into industrial engineering, I had no what it, idea what it is, is the truth of the matter, Tom. I just, I was at Stanford. I was kind of a jack of all trades and a master of none. And I said, I don't know what I want to do. And I had a friend who said, well, look, you like science, you like people, you should do industrial engineering. It's a good mix of <laughs> science and people. And I'm like, wow, that now, now, you know, you don't hear that every day. Um, So industrial engineering literally teaches you how do you make organizations more efficient by looking at their financial resources, by looking at their human resources, and by looking at their processes. And so, you know, you maximize and optimize all of those things. I took, you know, behavioral science classes to talk about how you lead and motivate people. But I also took took manufacturing systems design classes to figure out how do you optimize uh, you know, a, a manufacturing line in a Pampers plant. So lots of different classes, kind of like a technical business degree is how I pitch it. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. And there, were, and, and there was a lot going on at Stanford back then on, in this particular area, correct? Oh, I don't know. I feel like there's always a lot going on at Stanford. Well, but, but I mean, on this, on, this, on this subject, because it kind of aligns well okay. with the way the business world in particular has evolved because of digital. Yeah, you, you for know, sure. With the focus, as we always talk about in the show, about user experience and user interfaces and things like that. Tom, you're 100% right. In fact, that was the era um, coming out of Stanford, as you said, where Google was launched, right? right? And where Yahoo was launched. And I was like, why weren't those my friends? I mean, how, who was I hanging out with at Stanford? Uh, <laughs> so yes, there was absolutely a lot going on. And it's funny, I actually remember taking a class called Entrepreneurship in High Technology. Um, It was only worth one unit. You didn't have to do any work. You just sat there and listened to these great Silicon Valley entrepreneurs come and talk. And I remember Guy Kawasaki came and he spoke and he shared the funniest anecdote that, that I will remember forever. He said, look, if you wanna start a company here in Silicon Valley, you don't even need to have a great idea. Let me tell you what you do. You just have a breakfast and you invite over uh, number one, a really great product person. Number two, a really great marketing person. Number three, a really great finance person. And you, you know, you serve them breakfast, um, and you know, you ask them to bring the drinks. You serve the 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 uh, bagels, and they get there, and you say, "I got a great idea for a company. We are going to create a widget, and here's how we're going to sell it, and here's how we're going to get the company funded." And then the product person will say, "Oh my God, that's a terrible idea. What we should really think about is X." And then the marketing person chimes in and says, oh, and I know exactly how we would market that. We would do Y. And then the finance person says, oh, and I can definitely get that funded. Here's how we would fund it. And he said, and then you've got a company at the end of breakfast. You didn't even come up with an idea, nor did you provide the drinks. All you had to provide was the bagels. And uh, (laughs) so, um, yes, so there was a lot happening at that time and a lot of smart people giving out a lot of sage advice like that from Guy Kawasaki. That's amazing. I think... um... Uh, now it's probably evolved to alcohol being involved, but that's actually a lot cheaper way to do it if you do it that way with just having bagels in the morning. So. Joe, Joe, before you ask your question, trivia question for you. Do you, do you know where Guy Kawasaki was once the head of marketing? No. I'm sure Tanya knows. Uh, he was the head of marketing at Apple a long, long time ago. And that's really how he both, I, I assume, made a lot of money and number two, it became kind of a marketing legend in Silicon Valley. So there we go. So um, Tanya, tell us about Goal Setter. And it's so two pieces. One is 
the bigger picture of, of what it is and how it works. And then the second piece is your recent news uh, working with what our students and, and listeners are probably interested in are, you know, some of the NBA players and the PA that have become involved in, 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 in the project and why. Sure. So Goal Setter is a saving, smart spending and financial literacy app created especially for kids and teens. And, um, you know, we specifically cover every member of the family from cradle to graduation, because as we talk to parents about what do you want for your family? What kind of finance app do you want for your family? There were already teen debit cards out there, but what we heard was, that's not what I want. I, I want that as a feature, but I want something that teaches my family to save, teaches my kids about money, teaches kids key financial literacy concepts that I quite frankly don't know how to explain to them or don't have time to teach them um, and gives them the practical spending power as well so they can begin to learn how to budget um, and you know, know that money doesn't grow on trees. And so we took all of that feedback and we launched Goal Setter. And so what Goal Setter does is it gives every kid in your family the, a, a savings account, no matter how old they are. You know, we have kids at the earliest of ages, literally newborns, where their parents have said, look, I got three kids in the family, please do not give me another gift, just deposit in this kid's savings account, right? Five-year-olds, uh, you know, we, we offer financial literacy quizzes that start from kindergarten and go all the way through 12th grade. So we really do grow with kids in the family and help them on their financial journey. Um, so we start with a savings account, Kids can sign up to save for goals, big or small, short-term or long-term, doesn't matter what they're saving for as long as they're saving. Family members and friends can gift them goal cards instead of gift cards on birthdays and holidays. So they get real money towards real dreams in a real FDIC insured account. And instead of learning to be the next generation of consumers with, hey, I got this Target gift card. Hey, I've got this Amazon gift card. I didn't want anything from Target, but I might as well go buy something because I got a gift card. Your kids are learning, hey, I got 10 goal cards with $20 each. That's $200. I can save that towards something that I really care about. Um, so that's goal cards. Number three, we've got an allowance feature. So we let kids earn their own money and learn about the power of hustle to make your dreams come true. One of our allowance rules is called uh, uh, uh uh, you're on payroll. So you're on payroll says you get $10 a week, but only if you do these five chores because you're on payroll. But another allowance rule is called entrepreneur in the making, which is here are 10 chores. You eat what you kill. So if you do two of them, you get paid for two. You do eight of them, you get paid for eight. But then finally, we wrap all of that with a really fun layer of financial literacy quizzes. They're mapped to national financial literacy standards put out by jumpstart.org, a real educational body, because yes, I'm an education nerd, but they're rooted in memes and gifs from hip hop artists, social media influencers, athletes, YouTube personalities. So when Beyonce says, can you pay my bills? Can you pay my telephone bills? We use that to explain Beyonce wouldn't need anyone to pay her bills if she would just save for an emergency fund of three to six months of her expenses Poor Beyonce could pay her own bills. Um, so we make learning about financial education really fun for kids. And I'm sorry, I gotta tell you about one more feature, which is our teen and tween debit card. It's called the Cashola card. Um, so it's super cute and super cool, but even more importantly, it comes with a groundbreaking feature in the financial industry called learn before you burn. If you set that feature up for your kid, on Sunday morning, your kid's debit card will automatically freeze if they haven't taken their financial literacy quiz for the week yet. 
And the minute they take that quiz, the card will unfreeze. And no, Guy Kawasaki did not give me that idea, Tommy. <laughs> nice, Tanya. Um, how did you how did you pivot away from your corporate career to become an entrepreneur? And talk about the process of actually starting the company. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Tom, I, the company was started out of sheer ignorance. Let's be clear, right? I just didn't know how hard it would be. Um, I was in this corporate career. My daughter said this thing to me. I said to myself, I think I have to do this. I honestly, I mean, the truth of the matter is, and, and Joe and I have talked about this, I kind of didn't feel like I had a choice. I really felt like my steps were ordained to do this because it needed to get done and it needed to get done in a way that America had never done it before, right? You don't have financial technology entrepreneurs coming out of the kids and sports space. It just doesn't happen. And so I knew that I had something very special to bring to this space. Um, and, and I felt like kids needed what I was bringing. So I kind of felt like I had to do it. Now, with all of that being said, it was a really, really hard journey. I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen any statistics lately, but venture capitalists don't typically invest in women, particularly not women of color. And so those things aren't, you know, it's, that's not an easy road. Um, but I, I was undaunted and dogged and tenacious because I knew that if I didn't do this in this way, no one else would be able to bring these assets together for kids across America who have traditionally not been engaged in financial literacy, who have not taken to the programs that banks are launching, who have not found anything interesting or for them in this whole space. And I knew that we could find things for them to engage them. So did you raise venture capital to get it going? I, I did raise, so I didn't raise venture capital, get it going. I, I went and talked to angel investors. I started with the Stanford Black Alumni Association, which I am a member of. And they were, you know, I had so many friends from there who wrote me my first checks. I was at a Stanford National Black Alumni Association meeting. Uh, there was a panel about technology and entrepreneurship. And I went up to the mic and acted like I was gonna ask a question. And instead I gave my first 30 second pitch. Wow. <laughs> So, um, so that's how I got started. We just recently raised a round of funding. That round of funding included extraordinary human beings and investors who also happen to be athletes like Kevin Durant and Chris Paul and Baron Davis. I mean, some of the smartest people I have ever met or known. Um, and so they are investors in this round, PNC Bank, US um, Bank our investors in this round, Northwestern Mutual Ventures, um, Portfolio, which is an extraordinary um, venture capitalist that invests in women and people of color, Elevate VC. So we've had some fantastic, Sterling K. Brown and his wife, Ryan Bathay. The, um, uh, Sterling K. Brown is the star of This Is Us and his wife was in First Wives Club. Um, they are investors. So we have had just widespread support from really notable members of the African-American community, um, along with notable financial institutions. How um, you talk about wanting to get this in front of every young person, um, how has it gone so far? And then with the recent funding from Names Big and Small, where will that funding go to get you to your goal? So Joe, you know, there are only so many people who can come in on an investment round, right? The investment round is capped. Uh, we were actually oversubscribed, so we couldn't even take as much money as we would have liked to have taken this, at this stage of our journey. Um, but there are lots more people who can come in on the movement. 
And so in February, we launched a campaign in conjunction with the NBA Players Association called Drafted. And uh, we called it Drafted for obvious reasons, but we are drafting kids into the League of Financial Freedom. And Chris Paul kicked it off by drafting 100 kids from his foundation uh, with $40 in a savings account as a nod to 40 acres and a mule. And then Chris Paul passed the baton and said, who's not the baton, what am I thinking? He passed the ball, he passed the rock. (laughs) And he said, who's got next? And Chris passed the rock and he passed it to um, Jalen Brown. And Jalen Brown said, I've got next, I'm gonna draft a hundred kids as well from my foundation. And it kept getting passed to Anthony Tolliver and to Harrison Barnes who said, I wanna support kids both in the city that I played in previously in Dallas and in Sacramento. So he's drafting kids in two cities and Sloan Stevens is drafting kids and Michael Thomas and the NFL is drafting kids. And, uh, and, and so it has spread to not only all of the sports leagues, but to companies and financial institutions that want to draft kids and the YMCA's of America. Um, so, uh, you know, we have had widespread support um, and this last week of uh, financial literacy month, or I'm sorry, of, of Black History Month that's coming up next week, we're going to have even more really exciting drafts and draft picks. So is the core uh, user base, let's say 12-ish to, to college, is that the primary focus? Uh, no, it's actually literally kindergarten through 12th grade. And, okay. and people have a hard time like wrapping their mind around that. And so what I say is, hey, pass your iPhone around to everyone in the family. And what happens? Your four-year-old will use your iPhone in the same way that your 11-year-old will use your iPhone in the same way that a 17-year-old will, right? We've done the same thing with the financial technology app. We've literally made it usable and fun and friendly for the whole family. So we've got teenagers who are on it. They've got a uh, cashola card, a debit card. They are taking their cashola card and you know using it to spend money. But before they can spend money, they are taking 11th grade quizzes, financial literacy quizzes that are teach- teaching them about compound interest and APY versus APR and stocks versus bonds and what's an ETF. I mean, that's what they're doing, right? That card in their hand is so much different than any other card in America, debit card in America in a kid's hand, because it's teaching them things. Uh, Tanya, on the sports side, you talked about individual athletes uh, and and the NBPA. Any progress with teams or or leagues adopting this as, as a best practice? I realize where we are right now with COVID that community programs have fallen a little bit away, but this is something in the virtual space that would seem like it would fit. Uh, I love that you said that, Joe. We are absolutely talking to teams about this. Um, we have already had, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers and their community team said, we love this and let's share this with our players and get our players involved. Um, we've got a big announcement coming next week with another team that is super excited and they are drafting kids as a team in their local community. So that is uh, uh, really exciting. And um and, and we've got more to come. So we're engaged in lots of conversations right now at the team level, at the league level, um, to get additional support for this movement because the players have really taken to it and the players you know, are excited about it. It doesn't just let the players contribute to a larger movement, it lets them contribute to kids they care about in their local communities or in the community that they play in, which is really nice. So can you talk a little bit about your your marketing of the product? Because 
obviously you're reaching out to different demographic groups, different psychographic types, et cetera. Um, what kind of marketing effort are you putting behind this beyond just the recognition you would get from great press and from your, from your star investors and stuff like that? Well, we are certainly investing in marketing um, and we are investing in marketing in two ways. You know, number one is traditional marketing. So you'll see, you know, goal setter ads on Facebook and Instagram, et cetera. Um, number two, we are, um, we are partnering with organizations who touch a lot of kids, in many instances, nonprofit organizations, um, to say, why don't you help us with marketing? And instead, instead of us spending our money on the big tech companies like Facebook and Google, we can spend our money with you. And so we have really fantastic affiliate programs with nonprofits, with you know, influencers, with um, you know, people who have large followings on Instagram, TikTok, et cetera, to say, we will pay you for every kid or family who you bring in the goal setter because it's a great way of displaying cooperative economics. Um, and so, you know, we, we very much believe in that and are doing a lot of marketing in both camps, quite frankly. Cool. Um, one other question, I know uh, we're going to get to our, our two questions we asked to all our, uh, our guests, but um, what about on the college side? Have you seen an uptick at all or interest from universities with student athletes or university groups that have big finance um, institutions that can come and say, we would like to bring this as part of our outreach in our community? Has that come up at all yet? You know, it, it's funny. It has not come out uh, up on the college side yet, although we are certainly talking to you know, Stanford alumni about how Stanford alumni can support the local community around Stanford, East Palo Alto, um, by drafting kids in East Palo Alto. And I think that is truly a, you know, one of the best ways that college and colleges and universities can give back to their local community, prepare that next generation of kids um, to be the next generation of collegiates. Kids who have savings accounts in their name, I forgot to share some statistics on why we're doing this. Kids who have savings accounts in their name are six times more likely to go to college and four times more likely to own stocks by the time they're young adults. So when we talk about wanting to create the next generation of collegiates in that college town, this is right up that alley, Joe. It's also right up the alley of how do we close the wealth gap in this country, right? We can't make up for a gap that's 400 years old, but let's be clear, we can at least set the next generation of all children on a path to financial freedom. And if you ask any one of your friends, I don't care if your friends are rich or poor or suburban or urban or black or white or Latino or, or Asian or you know some mix of all of those, um, kids in America are not getting financially educated. It's not happening. And so our app uniquely gives every kid from every background the opportunity for a financial education, which will set them up to become more apt to own stocks and learn about the stock market and be interested in growing wealth and not hide their money under a mattress um, and you know be, be more savvy about how they can build wealth both for their their selves themselves and their own family and for the next generation so that's what we're trying to do it seems as though the controversy and concerns around the gamification of consumer finance as represented by Robinhood would actually be good for you guys in terms of a storyline to support your thesis. In uh, other words, one of, the, one of the concerns about young people getting into Robinhood is they literally don't know what they're doing 
And Robinhood has made a UI that is so uh, attractive to young people to start essentially thinking of the stock market as a game, which it's not. <laughs> so uh, have you thought about that? Okay, so Joe is gonna be my pitch guy. Tom, you're gonna be my strategy guy. Um, and you know, we can just all work on this. I, like it. I love it, I love it. Well, it's funny, uh, Tom, we literally just got off of a call. We are in the midst of designing um, the investment component of our app now because we are going to be launching an investment component of our app, but we are thinking very, very carefully and very seriously to your point about how we do that in a responsible way, right? When we launched our debit card, there were other debit cards in the market. We could have just launched another debit card. We didn't do so because we said it's irresponsible. It's irresponsible to put a piece of plastic in a kid's hand and send them off into the country and say, send them off into the neighborhood in New York City and say, go forth and spend, right? And we can say that that's teaching financial literacy, but that's not teaching financial literacy. It's teaching kids how to send money and spend money. And the last I checked with my 15-year-old and my 11-year-old, they both know how to do that really, really well. Um, and so it was important for us to, to do what my grandmother taught me a long time ago, Tom, which was my grandmother said, you got to do what you need to do before you can do what you want to do. And so with our debit card, we make sure that those kids are taking the financial literacy quizzes before they're out spending. Similarly, with the investment uh, features that we are launching, we are thinking very carefully about how to make sure kids are doing what they need to do before they do what they want to do. Hey, Tanya, uh, before we get to our last two questions, what are there certain traits or certain pieces of business that you learned, whether it was Nickelodeon, uh, Discovery, ESPN, that you brought along that fit really well with the business that you're running today? Or did you have to kind of fake it till you make it? Wow, Joe, it's so funny. I was telling a guy on my team just this morning, uh, he came from a big bank and he said, he's been on the team for two months. He said, I learned more in the past two months than I learned in the past two years at the big bank that I was working at, right? Um, you know, look, when you're at a big institution and a big organization, there are a lot of people there. And if you fall off of the, you know, fall out of the cog or fall out of the wheel, you're just one, one small cog that's missing from that wheel, right? And so, so yes, you learn some things there. And I certainly learned some amazing things at Nickelodeon and at Discovery, principally around how you create content that's engaging and exciting and at the same time educational, right? That is our sweet spot. That's what we know how to do better than anyone else. So I learned that, but there have been 99 other things that I had to learn on the job. Um, and so, you know, that's a, that's a steep learning curve, but um, it's a learning curve that if we don't invest in that learning curve for people who have not run businesses before or been entrepreneurs before, then we miss out on their perspectives and the products that they would bring to market. Right. If, if no one said, if everyone said, I'm not investing in Tanya because she comes from a big company and she has not mastered this entrepreneurial stuff yet. I only invest in second time founders. I've heard that consistently. Right. Mm -hmm. I only invest in second time founders because they've mastered the learning curve on somebody else's dime. Then guess what? There would be no goal setter in the market. There would be no you know, product that actually teaches our kids and engages them and excites them. That wouldn't be there. We've got to invest in people who are bringing new ideas. And sometimes they're bringing new ideas without traditional backing or resources or deep entrepreneurial experience. Um, but if you believe that that's a horse that wins, 
you know, on that kind of a racetrack, then let's bring this horse over here in, you know, in a field, and I bet they can run fast and figure it out. All right, Joe, before you go to the last, we go to the last two, one more quick one. How did you get to these athletes? Tom, it's my secret. And uh, <laughs> you don't have to tell us, no, but no, I find I'm, that interesting. Could you, you kind of like nonchalantly said, oh, we have Kevin Durant and Chris Paul, like some of the biggest names in all of sports. And, and you're a little, you know, relatively small startup. Like that's very impressive to me. How'd you thank do it? You, thank you. I appreciate that. Look, I mean, you know, um, the truth of the matter is that, um, <laughs> You know, I really do believe in karma and I really believe that if you're doing the right things for the right reasons, um, that people who believe in what you're doing will find you and you will find them. And so, you know, this isn't about just the company for me. I mean, I, I didn't leave. I, I was making a great paycheck in large companies and doing things that were relatively interesting and had great teams. I didn't come and jump into this entrepreneurial space because I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Absolutely not. I didn't, quite frankly. Um, I didn't come jump into this entrepreneurial space because I wanted to make a lot of money. That wasn't it for me either. I jumped into the space because I felt like it needed me and that I could make a difference. Um, and I think when you want to make a difference, you, you can get to people who also believe in making a difference. And so, you know, you'll notice that all of the names that I shared in terms of people who are on our cap table now, those people are movement makers. Those organizations are movement makers. Mm -hmm. U.S. Bank just announced yesterday that they're investing over $100 million in closing the wealth gap for black and brown people. PNC Bank has uh, made a similar announcement of investing $500 million in the African-American community. These are organizations and individuals who are committed to um, to closing the wealth gap. And that's what we're committed to, too. So I, I think we were able to find them because um, we have the same passion, we have the same belief, um, and, and they knew why I was doing this work that we're doing. And by the way, you do have a network that continues to expand from a lot of people that, that we've had on our show before um, that will help put good people with good people. I think that's, that's important too. Um, so Tanya, our last two questions. Um, how do you stay up to date with everything? What, who do you follow? What do you read? And then you've touched on this a little bit, but for people who are making a career transition or starting out, what advice do you give them? Yeah. Joe, by the way, thank you for saying good people connect me to good people because you're 150% right. And I don't want to lose that. So many good people in my network who have connected me to good people and I'm grateful for them. Um, how do I stay up to date? I don't. I'm pathetically behind and not up to date. <laughs> That's and the I, best answer, Joe, we've ever gotten. <laughs> I'm pathetically well, behind. I like that. I am pathetically behind. I am. And I have to be honest about it because I'm a mom of four kids. I have a startup company. I, you know, my kids range in age from five to 15. I can't stay up to date. You cannot do it all, right? I mean, I'm lucky that I get dinner to the kids and that's mostly because I have this extraordinary man in my life. Um, so, you know, my husband gets all the credit there, but I, so I don't stay up to date. I stay up to date because my husband or my daughter come to the dinner table and they go, oh my gosh, did you hear what happened today? And so I'm grateful for family dinner. There you so, go. <laughs> so whoever wants Great to join answer, I love that. And the advice that you give to other people trying to do a crazy thing like you did? Um, 
The advice that I give to other people is uh, know what you're getting yourself into and don't do it unless you are absolutely 150% in. This entrepreneurial thing is very similar to marriage. If you are walking down that aisle and you're like, hmm, I'm not so sure about this, turn around and run the other direction. And I'd say the same thing about being an entrepreneur. If you kind of think you want to do it, if you maybe have an idea that you're a little bit interested in, turn around and go back to your office and do your day job until you find that person, e.g., that idea or company or business that's the right match because it's a, it is a, a commitment of 150,000% of your time and you need to be all in or it's just not going to work. All right, quick follow-up on that. You made a comment before that resonated with me when you said a, a new member of your team said he learned more in two months than he had in two years at a large company. This is a topic of conversation for me and Joe and the students of our program frequently, which is where can you best ply your trade in this business? In, in our case, we're talking about the sports business. There are lots of big famous companies like the ESPNs and the big leagues and things like that, but there's a really robust startup scene, entrepreneurial scene, as you know, primarily because of sports tech and disruption and media and things like that. Do you think everybody would be wise to, to think about that particular point, how much more you can learn in a smaller environment, even though it may be less popular in, in terms of uh, pathways? Let me tell you something. It's, it, it, it's like saying, um, you know, should I go get a degree from Harvard, which will, as my amazing board advisor and mentor, Carla Harris says, lead to lots of branches on your tree, right? Or should I have my dad teach me college upstairs? Um, you know, and, and the only reason I'm saying that is because when you work at a startup company, it is like a continued degree. You can go anywhere from there, right? Like you can go to, hey, I worked at this startup company. I can go to ESPN from there, right? Hey, I worked at this startup company. I can go to a larger startup or another small startup or a, like the skill sets that you learn are just so coveted. I remember being at Nickelodeon. And, you know, if we had an opening for a digital marketing manager and we got somebody in there from, you know, a, a startup company that had done all of their digital marketing or quite frankly, someone from, you know, a, a more well-established company, but that was renowned for digital marketing, right? We were like salivating, like, oh, okay, you have the job now because everyone else's resume looked alike. It was like, we're all circulating amongst, amongst these large companies and we're kind of doing the same things. And so, you know, it, it, it's just, you're not bringing much extra to the party. But if you work at the startup company and you've literally have had seven jobs in your one job, you are so talented and so rich, your education from that undergraduate degree or that graduate or that graduate degree has been extended with what I would think of as a PhD. I mean, you basically are walking in with a PhD. So I think it is enormously, enormously valuable. And I would certainly encourage your students to pursue that. Look, if, and because most of your students are interested in sports, right? If they were interested in banking, right? Then don't come here, go, you know, do that, do that program at Morgan Stanley or do a great program at, at UBS and, you know, become the next investment banker. That's great. That makes sense. But if you're in general interested in business and sports and I mean, yeah, absolutely. Go find a sports tech startup that, 
that is doing some interesting things to you and, and jump in there. And one of them could be cool. Outstanding answer. Outstanding yeah. answer. Yep. Hey, um, Tanya, uh, before we let you go, probably the most important thing is where can people find more about you and where can they find it more about Goal Setter? Or if they're interested in learning about the entrepreneurial space and maybe you're looking for interns or help or employment in the future, how do they find you in the company? I love it. I love it. We are always looking for help. We are small. We need, we need smart people who are willing to work hard. So um, you can, number one, follow us at Goal Setter Co. We would love for you to follow us and find out more about what we're up to. Um, shoot us a note. You can send us a note at hello at Goal Setter Co. Um, little known fact is I read 90% of those. So if you send a note there, um, I will see it. And if I don't see it, our customer service team will flag the ones that are for me and send it to me. So just, you know, shoot us a note at hello at Goal Setter Co. Um, and uh, definitely keep, oh, and one last thing, if you got a little sister, a little brother, a niece, a nephew, a cousin, let them know about Goal Setter. When I tell you that we talk to 20 somethings all the time who say, I wish I had had this when I was young, it would have changed my life. That's what we hear consistently. So give them the gift of changing their lives. You can literally give them a gift by going to our website, goalsetter.co and clicking on give a gift. You just plug in the amount you want to give. You can upload a video. Hey, it's Uncle Joe. I'm giving you this $50 to start your first savings account. It's super cool. They'll love it. And you will start them on a path to financial freedom. So Tom, I have a question for you. Did we find someone who was a little bit uplifting to lift us out of the uh, yes. show? The show started a little bit, a little bit dark and ended up extremely light. So, man, that was a breath of fresh air, a breath of inspiration. Tanya, congratulations on, on pulling this off and, and making it work. And I really hope it continues to, to uh, blossom because it's an amazing idea. And I love your energy and passion about it. That's, that's what we need. Thank you, Tom. Well, look, I've got to say thank you to you for having me on. And I've got to say thank you to Mr. Joe Favorito for being one of those good people who connects me to the good people. Um, and he has not only connected me to your show, but he's connected me to other really amazing people who have certainly helped our efforts. And that's what it's all about. That's the only way that we got here. It wasn't a solo effort. It takes a, a team. And uh, we are grateful to all of you for your support and help. I've already sent, I've already sent my LinkedIn invitation to you, yeah. by the way. So I hope you accept me. Awesome. And welcome to our village. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. A fine village it is. So, so once again, um, this has been Tanya Van Court joining us on the Cusp Show. She is the founder and CEO of Goal Setter, uh, a woman of color leading an entrepreneurial business, living in Brooklyn, which we didn't mention. Mother, uh, you know, entrepreneur has really touched on so many things. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, once again, this has been Joe Favorito for my co-host Tom Richardson. You've been listening to The Cusp Show and we will see you down the road.